Introducing the SND Podcast channel, your new source for all types of podcasts. We are looking for new podcasts to add to our channel. So if you ever wanted to start a podcast, reach out to us via Twitter, DM, or just add us at SND Podcast. Or message us on Facebook or even email us at SNDPodcast at gmail.com. Once you reach out to us, we'll tell you the best way to create a podcast. All types of podcasts are welcome. So anything you want to talk about for a podcast, just let us know. No idea is a bad idea. We're already on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, and all other podcast apps. All you have to do is record the podcast. So hit us up soon so you can start your podcast now. Rising report, it's that Apple report, it's the Rising Apple report. Rising report, it's that Apple report, it's the Rising Apple report. Yeah! And a very happy new year to all you. Metsian folk. Uh, this is the converted Mets fan Sam Maxwell, ready to say goodbye to 2016 on a very special New Year's Eve edition of the Rising Apple Report. I'm, I'm glad to have the uh, what I'd like to call the podcast crew here uh, of Rising Apple. And uh, we're going to start with uh, Mike LeColant, who uh, through and through, by and by, we got on this, this phone call. <laughs> Uh, it was a process. I, it's still a process, but let's have good to be speaking with you again. Good to be speaking with you too. And and uh, also we have uh, Rich Spirago, uh, the veteran of Rising Apple. How you doing, man? Doing well, Sam. How are you this afternoon? I am all right, and I am definitely ready to to. Uh, well, you know, I guess once you get to the new year, you have really no choice. You got to put it behind you. But uh, we're we're coming up on 2017, and uh, I myself. Uh, look forward to reminiscing with you guys over uh, the year that was in Mets history. Same. Well, I'm going to start here, and I'm going to just ask you guys a question point blank. Is Johannes Cespedes the greatest talent the Mets have ever had on their team? Go ahead, Rich. Wow. Um, that's an interesting one. The greatest talent, you know, I, I have to say, I have to say no for, for one reason. Um, now, obviously, I, I don't think you can compare pitchers and hitters. So looking exclusively at position players, I think the greatest talent Mets had was Mike Piazza. Um, and I'll tell you why. Cespedes is better defensively. He does more on the defensive side. That There's no question. But when you look at Mike Piazza's body of work before Met, as a Met, we're talking an average of 40 home runs, 110 RBIs, a batting average over 300, um, a, a flair for the dramatic. I mean, I'm not trying to minimize Cespedes in any way, shape, or form, but I'm just saying I think the greatest offensive player the Mets ever had over, you know, anybody can be a flash in the pan like Bernard Guilty was for a year, but the greatest player the Mets had offensively over a reasonable amount of time, you know, three years or more, I, I still have to go with Piazza. Even though people, you know, degrade his defense and he wasn't great at throwing runners out, I think he was great at calling a game and blocking balls and dirt and on foul pops and at blocking the plate. But even though he wasn't the great defensive player, I still have to go with Piazza. Uh, Mike, you know, obviously we hope that this uh, the next four years work out well. Uh, you know, there's some questions of his motivation, but I think the, the entire point of this in, of this deal is the fact that uh, they're comfortable with him and he's comfortable with with them. And uh, I I don't see Johannes Cespedes. I think Johannes Cespedes wants to be one of the greatest players of all time, and so why would he uh, work against that? Uh, but Mike, I, I pose you the same question. Uh, um, I I. Uh, definitely understand where Rich is coming, and I really can't argue it. What about you? That's uh, that's one of the toughest questions you've ever you've ever asked. Uh, is he the best offensive player the Mets ever had? He's among them. Re- well, remember say... remember the way I phrased the question: Is he the greatest talent the Mets have ever had? Uh, no, he's not the greatest talent the Mets have ever had. 
Uh, and I'll say that with certainty. But, you know, he's definitely among the top whatever, five, uh, perhaps, maybe. That's arguable, I guess. Uh, he He's the most impactful Met with relation to his team. Uh, no team has relied on a singular player perhaps like the 69 Mets did or the two or the 2000 Mets did, as Rich mentioned, with Mike Piazza. Uh, but they had other players, uh, a, a lot of uh, other complementary players that, quote-unquote, you know, put them over the top or almost put them over the top. Uh, whereas Cespedes, you know, we see what kind of team the Mets are with him in the lineup, and we certainly understand what kind of team they are without him in the lineup. So I'll give him that credit. He, he's, he's the most uh, talented player with relation or in relation to his respective team. Uh, but no, my answer is an unequivocal no. He's not that, that guy. Well, you know, I, it's just something that popped up over, uh, you know, last night I was doing uh, the top two of our uh, top ten wins of 2016 countdown. And I was just thinking about where he's where he's been, how much better he got in 2016, which was already, you know, he, he was already somebody that is like, don't correct anything, but but he did. Um, and uh, I, I just I, I, I just find it uh, him fascinating. I, and I find him to be an unbelievably fascinating player watching him go about the process of hitting. I, I think he, he's remarkable. Um, and, and, you know. I, I think that he definitely uh, has a chance to to um, sway the argument over the next four years uh, in his favor. So uh, we look forward to that. Uh, but first, we're going to look back at 2016, and um, I, I understand that um, some uh, some ideas, uh, some some um, memories of these games might be vague to some. But that's why we're going to be uh, trying to reminisce and, and see if anything can uh, can pop up in our heads. Uh, that we had uh, kind of put on the back burner, and, and, and as you know, as it happens, there's 162 games, and sometimes they can all blend together once uh, you get to December of the year. So first, uh, uh, this this is uh, the top 10 wins of 2016. Something that uh, I put together on Rising Apple, uh, and we've been counting down, and we're going to be uh, releasing the best win of 2016 later. And the first win that I had on there, number 10, uh, was. And if I'm remembering correctly the date, I believe it was April 13th against the Marlins, and it was a 2-1 to win. And I'll start with you, Rich. Uh, what, what, do you, uh, what are your memories about what the Mets uh, were at the time, uh, you know, what, how important of a win that was, and, and uh, any thoughts you had about the, the game? Well, you know, if you think about that, right, you know, the Mets had begun the season with the split in Kansas City, and then over the weekend they had lost 2-3 of three to the Phillies. And then the Marlins came in and won the first two games of the series. The game you're talking about, Sam, on, on April 13th was an afternoon game, Wednesday afternoon. And it was one of those games where the Mets are behind and it looked for all the world like they were going to go two and six. Now, in a 162-game season, two and six you can recover from. But you would have lost five in a row and the season was only 10 days old. So if what I remember about that game was it was a game where Cespedes went running into the wall, you know, to catch a foul, to uh, try to catch a foul pop. Um, it was a game where they used Jim Henderson after a long night game. They used him, you know, 12 hours later. And I know that was um, that was quite a problem. And um, right. just over 12 hours later. Right. And and so he, I think he used Familia for more than a three out save, if I recall. And so. It was, you're right. I think classifying that as an important win because they then went into Cleveland and won two out of three. Then they went to Philly and had a good series winning two out of three. Who knows, right? Momentum is as good as your next, next day's starting pitcher. So if they had lost that game, could they still have won two out of three in Cleveland, two out of three in Philly? Sure. But nobody wants to be two and six. Nobody wants to be on a five-game losing streak. And the final thing I'll say about that game is you know, people got on Cespedes because he went running into the wall, hurt his knee to try to catch a foul pop that was probably four or five rows deep. 
And, and they're like, oh, that was stupid. But you know what? Those same people, if he didn't hustle after the ball, would say he's not hustling. So just, you know, I, sorry, but shut up already. The guy <laughs> hustled. He tried to make the play. The team, so my summary on that game is I thought the team did not want to lose five in a row. They played that way. I believe it was a ground ball single by Plowecki that scored the winning yes. run in the, in the bottom of the eighth, right? Infield in. Um, Infield in, ground ball, like seeing eye single. But the team played hard. Collins managed it like it was the seventh game of the World Series. But you know what? You don't want to lose five in a row. So I had no problem with that game. And I think it's a good call on your part. Thank you. Uh, and uh, Mike, I know you warned me, but any thoughts? Uh, no, actually, I got plenty of thoughts. Uh, I do remember the game. And what stands out to me about that game was Logan Verrett. You know, somebody we really weren't depending on in the slightest bit at that point in the season yet. He pitched six innings and threw six shutout innings, I, I, I might add. Uh, a lot of credit goes to him for keeping us in the game, and any win over the Marlins is a sweet victory uh, for Mets fans. You know that, because they're just a thorn in our side. Uh, but this is, you know, as Rich mentioned, the Mets were getting up to a slow start. We didn't want to go on, you know, an extended losing streak, and it was nice to turn it around uh, on this particular day. And, and the thing is that the lineup still featured everybody we thought or expected to, you know, be there. Uh, and this is before, you know, the team was just completely ravaged by injuries. So, uh, you know, as April goes, nice win. Exactly. And exactly. And I, I thought it did uh, uh, warrant being included. And um, big shout out to the, the Chapmans and the Princes, who I, I spent the day with in a, um, a suite, which they, you know, I had no idea that uh, that was going to be the ticket waiting for me. So uh, props to them. And uh, it, was, it was a beautiful afternoon uh, filled with a Mets win. Uh, next game, uh, number nine on the list, uh, I put um, the uh, Mets 9, Washington 7 on uh, July 7th against the Nationals. Um, uh, you know, of course, uh, Wilmer Flores hit the home run, uh, a lot of lead changes, uh, Daniel Murphy doing Daniel Murphy things, uh, and Jose Reyes. Uh, what, what, what are some of your thoughts, Rich? Jose Reyes, uh, because... That was Reyes's, I believe, third game back, maybe his second. I think it was his third game back because his first game was a Tuesday, and this was a Thursday night game. So I remember Reyes hitting a very critical home run in that game. And, you know, let's face it, the, the Marlins came in, the Mets were down for the four-game series at City Field right before the All-Star break. So you're thinking if you win three out of four, great, you're two out. And the All-Star break's coming up soon. Um, it looks pretty good, right? Well, so you certainly want to get the first game. And it was a seesaw battle. Um, I know Flores, the home run, I believe, off of Ali Perez, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. and um, Which is also beautiful. It, oh, absolutely. And, and plus, he was a thorn in our side that game, too. He, hit, he was hitting doubles after double. Right, right. Seesaw battle. So Flores did it to the Nationals again. Reyes contributed, which... Anything he does makes me happy. And, um, and again, you, you had the feeling after that game, like, okay, you know, we took the first one. We could take two of the next three. It's all going to be good. Now, it didn't play out that way, as we know. They lost the next three. But um, it was always nice to beat the Nationals. It was nice to beat them in that fashion. And, um, and I thought, yeah, I think it's a, it was a great Mets win. Absolutely. Another good call. Mike. Very interesting that, you know, Jose Reyes and Flores, uh, you know, factored so greatly in that game because it, one, one's game time was coming at the expense of the other. We knew that. And I, I wasn't particularly uh, fond of the idea of starting Reyes so soon. I thought he needed more time, uh, you know, to get everything down pat before, you know, we were about to count on him as a regular. I just thought it was a little premature. Uh, on this particular day, you know, I was, you know, proven wrong. But for the first two weeks or so, he struggled. So, I, you know what I'm saying. Uh, just an interesting game that both of them, you know, turned out to be factors in this game. Uh, an interesting uh an interesting dynamic within the Mets world in one particular game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, uh, uh, Daniel Murphy, obviously he got the first hit, uh, first RBI, 
and also um, made it eight to seven uh, at the time until we got another, we tacked a, another one on, which was uh, very important, especially with that ninth inning. And you had, you had the interference call uh, with, with um, uh, Jason Worth at second base, uh, where there was an earlier play uh, where they took the lead five to four, uh, where the interference wasn't called, but this, this time um, it, it was. Rich, it, you know, I think just, we can talk about it briefly real quick, just uh, some, some of the the new rules that baseball has implemented over these last few years. Well, I understand the spirit of them. You know, I, the spirit is to keep guys on the field, not have guys getting hurt. And, um, and it's like anything else, you know, in the extreme, when guys are going out of their way to break up double plays and, you know, the second baseman is very vulnerable. And, um, and if you can't touch the bag with any part of your body and you've gone after the player to a point where you can't do that, Sure, th- there should be interference there. But that said, the execution of the new rules is horrific. I mean, you know, you, you have replays, you have this, you have that. It seems to be interpreted differently. So while I commend the spirit of the rule, I think the execution stinks. And uh, the same thing with the play, those plays at the plate. You know, you, you can have, it's a very inexact science. You know, did he have the ball or didn't he? Was he blocking the plate or wasn't he? Did the player have a lane or not? Um, theoretically great, very difficult to manage. And I think we're seeing that, unfortunately. You know, Mike, they, they talk about, especially for somebody who really is advanced uh, with their, their online material, uh, MLB, uh, they, they have uh, good programming with that. But um, when it comes to on-field, the, it's, it's a slow trickle in terms of technology. And I like to call it when you see the replay guy come out with basically what looks like the, if if you guys have seen the big Lebowski, the dude's phone that he's carrying (laughs) around waiting for that phone call. It's like this technology is from 1991 guys, just pull your iPad out and look at the play. Um, But you know, they're, they're also talking about the fact that all these other uh, uh, sports, you know, announce, say something to the crowd. The referee says something to the crowd, the umpire's, don't aren't mic'd up. They 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 have nothing to say to the crowd. They just have hand signals and sign language, and and it's really getting out of hand. Uh, it really is, and I'll just say two words: Pandora's box. And, and that's why I'm so hesitant to change rules. And you know, I'm I'm against this when they put it in quote unquote the evolution of the. You know, that's nonsense. That's a crock. Okay. Uh, again, I'll refer back to Pandora's box. You know, one thing leads to another. The foot bone's connected to the ankle bone. And once you start tinkering with shit, you, uh, excuse me, you start encountering things that you never anticipated if you didn't think it through. For the life of me, I don't know why they can't have a fifth umpire, an eye in the sky, who's cued in or mic'd up to the, uh, to the crew chief and say, that's this, done, period, end of story. It gets rectified before it even becomes an issue. No challenges, strategy. That's nonsense. If you want to get it right, get it right, period. Okay? Eye in the sky, overseas, everything. He already has the known fact and is disseminating it down to the field, you know, within seconds. Now, for the sake of baseball and continuity, you have to let the play play itself out first. Then you make the correction. I don't see why that's so hard. Uh, and uh, if you can't do it right, don't do it at all. Uh, you mentioned rules. Uh, um, you know, it, it, it's so knee-jerk. It's so knee-jerk. Something happens, we need a law. It's over legislation. It's not baseball. It's everything. You know, and, exactly. and I'm against catchers put themselves in bad positions. A good catcher knows what to anticipate, knows what he's going to do, knows how he's going to receive the ball, and knows what kind of play is about to take place. Good catchers don't put themselves in bad positions. Bad catchers, unthinking catchers, put themselves in harm's way. That's my thing. You know? Yeah. Uh, the, the neighborhood play at second base, uh, I think we've taken it too far. This, did, did something need to be done about it? Perhaps, yeah. But we took it too far. And it's so you funny. Know? And, like, and, like, and that's like, our nature. 
it's you know it's always going to be connected to the Mets and Chase Utley, so that that, that whole thing is uh, interesting it, unto itself. Yeah, as well. it's so it's so knee jerk. You know, it's it, it's it's always fun until it happens to you. You know what I mean? Right. That's the syndrome we're all suffering from here, and, and that's the part of it that really gets me sick. You know, if you want to get it right, get it right. But the, if you start tinkering with the game too much, again, you open up Pandora's box. It and it's never ending, never ending. It doesn't sound like so they're really doing. Just leave well enough alone. Just leave well enough alone, and the competition and the spirit of the game will handle itself. And for Pete's sake, put an eye in the sky and have these corrections done instantly, with no question, no question, no argument. Done. Well, it doesn't sound like they're doing anything about it. So we'll we'll see what happens. Rich, you sound like you had something to say. Yeah, I wanted to jump in and, and profusely agree with Mike on one point. Um, the NHL's got it right. Football doesn't have it right with those stupid challenge flags and the you know another commercial so he can go under the hood. No, 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 no. Baseball has it incredibly wrong with the 1991 technology, to <laughs> use your, your analogy, Sam, and stopping the game. Again, everybody says it's too long anyway. No, 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 no. It does not work like this, fellas. The NHL has it right. They do what Mike just said. They've got an eye in the sky. Somebody's watching the game on TV. Every, every game is being watched. It's not a challenge. It's like if the, if the dude, you know, the eye in the sky guy sees something that the official on the ice should have seen or missed, it, it's immediately conveyed. You get it right. You don't, and it's not like, so this was your third challenge, which means that even though we got it wrong, it's going to stay wrong because you're out of town. No. Yeah, that's, that, right that too, that, that, that as well. It's like, sorry, what? Right, right. You get it right every time you assign somebody to be watching every game. They certainly have got the money to do it. You assign somebody to be watching every game with all the angles in the control center in New York. And if something is missed, it's immediately communicated via a, an earbud. Goodness knows we have those now. A wireless earbud to the home plate umpire. They say, "Up, oh, you know, we're looking at something. Hold it for one second. We want to watch that before we go. Okay, great. Yep, you know what? He was out. They make the change right there. You don't have a three-minute interruption in the game that you now have maybe four or five of them through the course of the game, and you're tacking on 20 minutes to game length. So I want to profusely agree with Mike on that. Yep, exactly. And, and uh, there's obviously more to be said and until they look like they're actually doing something about it. Then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what, what's what. Uh, my number eight uh, top ten wins of 2016 is the ele- the uh, 12 run inning, excuse me, uh, against the Giants, and uh, that that was that was on April 29th, and, and I don't think there's more to be to be said. That was a record breaking inning, Rich. I was at that game, and um, it was it was a lot of fun to watch. It was kind of like, okay, guys, let you call off the uh, call off the dogs here. You know, the game's not going to end till midnight because they just the Giants could not get them out in that inning. I mean, no matter who it was, I think Conforto had a home run in that inning. It was hit after hit after hit. The Gi- Bochi kept going the bullpen. The Mets kept hitting whoever came I, in. I, I think the only home run was was Cespedes. Oh, it you was know just what? Double think, after double. Right. It was Conforto who had a couple of hits. You're right. You're right. Um, but the other thing, the final thing I'll say about that game is, in context, the Mets had been playing very well, right up to that point. The Giants come in, the Mets slaughter them. And it certainly looked for all the world like the Mets were going to do what we wanted them to do in 2016. I remember being at that game, I remember walking out of there thinking, this team's going to win the World Series because of the way they had been playing. And that game was kind of the culmination of it. Right, Mike? <laughs> Lucas Duda, the only starter to go hitless in that game. <laughs> 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 very, entertained, very, very entertained by that <laughs> and what, what's yeah, funny is, I mean yeah go ahead no no go ahead I was just gonna go for it no I was just gonna say that that uh it's funny because I'm I'm looking at um our best win win of 2016 and there's a little bit of a, a due to angle to it um, but I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, give it away yet. Even though I think by the time we're we're done with these uh, these top these uh, top wins, you're you're going to realize which game has to be the last. Um, so yeah, that 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 was uh, unbelievable. And I, my angle, what I love about it is just that it, it's kind of like 
a microcosm of how Cespedes puts us uh, to another level uh, as a franchise. And, and that's, that's my, uh, that's my take on it is, is how it's, you know, him hitting that grand slam uh, is, is kind of uh, a symbol. Um, the uh, let's, let's get back to uh, number seven, number seven. Uh, and I should remember it off the top of my head. Well, that I, I put number seven as the wild card clinching win because um, that was uh, October 1st against the Phillies. And, I think that um, I put it so low just because I, it was a good game, uh, but I think there's other games that were more important to get us there. Uh, but I think that you obviously have to include it, and, and it made for quite the celebration, Rich. Yeah, it did. And um, the Met, you know, remember, the Mets hadn't won anything yet, obviously, because they clinched it that day. And they were on the road. And who's to say they're not going to go out there and lose on the Saturday afternoon and again on Sunday, which they, in fact, did. So they needed to win the game. It was a Bartolo start. I think they were behind in the game. We had a Loney home run in there. Um, so, yeah, and, and I think in any top 10 list, the game, the game where you clinch, whether it's a division, the wild card, what have you, needs consideration. And in this particular case, you know, Bartolo was a veteran. Um, he stepped up, got the job done on a day that they needed to get the job done. So, yeah, I, I would definitely have that game in the top 10. Mike? You know, it's a game that gave us hope in this respect because uh, Terry Collins uh, used the hell out of his bullpen, and it featured the guys we thought were going to carry us like the the Royals' bullpen did, you know, two years ago. Uh, It's a game in which uh, Terry Collins threw Blevins at them, Hansel Robles at them, Addison Reed at them, Familia at them, you know. and, and we thought, you know, heading in, being that we clinched that day, that that was going to be a formula that was going to be a strength of ours if we could just get to them. Uh, so I'll stop it there with the period, you know, not speaking beyond that. I mean, For that particular day, it was a very hopeful day. The game makes me sometimes think about, well, why, why didn't you just pitch Addison Reed another inning or, or uh, in the wild card game? You know, it definitely, definitely brings up some thoughts regarding the wild card game and, and not having Familia in there at that particular point. But, you know, it is what it is. And how are you going to get past uh, the greatest postseason pitcher of all time, Madison Bumgarner? It just seems like he's a stalwart then. Uh, but you know, that's not the game we're talking about because <laughs> it's definitely not in the top 10 wins of 2016, but that this moment about re- uh, remembering what I think is one of, one of the most outstanding, uh, seasons in the Nets history, just because of everything they had to overcome. It was just quite the storyline and, and everything just seemed against them, but, uh, uh, they managed to, uh, get to the point that they had one more, s- uh, champagne celebration. And unfortunately it didn't. Uh, you know, one game. What are you? What are you going to do? There's, there's, and Rich. That's what's kind of ironic about it is the fact that the Mets have, um, you know, the the, the Mets had waited, uh, you know, like they were the, they they finally got the 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 top wild card, uh, but this time they have to win the one game, uh, after missing out on the playoffs, uh, you know, back in 2007 and 2008 by one game. Well, exactly, and um, it was an exciting game. It was an exciting situation to be in, and you're happy to be playing postseason baseball, but it shows you the value of winning the division because it it was an incredibly pressure-packed game, and you know that 162 games of work come down to that one game, and uh, and it can all go out the window, as we saw. So you know, people have said for a long time, and I, I've never really understood this. They, they said you should really disadvantage the wild card team. So think about this before there were two wild cards. They say, oh, don't don't give them any home games in, in the course of the postseason. That's absurd. It, any if they home were, games. Well. Oh, right. And I used to be like, um, are, I mean, are you absolutely kidding? They played 162 games. They were the best team that didn't win a division. So don't give them home field advantage in any series. I get that. But are you serious about you know, about, um, about not giving them any home games and they had all these stupid ideas, but the way baseball has it now, I just said they have it incredibly wrong on, on replay. They've got it incredibly right with the wild card, in my opinion, because you say, look, you worked really hard, all that, but if you really want to emphasize the need to win the division, do it the way baseball does it. 
you have a wild, the two wild card teams have to, you know, have a celebrity death match and whoever loses is out. And that right there is your incentive to win the division. Oh, That's why you, the, you remember that TV show from years ago. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, great. Like a claymation. <laughs> Um, so you, you make them do it and, and that's your incentive to win the division. And, and if you don't want to be, if you're going to whine about how you had a good year and it sucks that, you know, we lost one game and we're out, well, win the division. That's the point. And I think baseball has it right in that regard. I, I really think that it's exciting and, and, you know, my team suffered the consequences of it, but I still think it's the right structure and I think it, it does put emphasis where baseball wants to put it. So it's unfortunate it didn't work out for the Mets, but, um, but I think the way they do it, I'd love to hear your guys' opinion on it. But I, think, I don't think it should be three games. I think it should be one game. And I think that's the, the quote-unquote penalty for, um, for being the wild card team. I, I think that uh, you nailed it on the head. I, I think at first it was kind of like, all right, let's see how this is, and especially that bonehead call uh, in, in that first game with the, the, the infield fly rule all the way in left field. Um, you know, I think other than that, it, it, you, yeah, you nailed it on the head. Well, you got to win your division. And, and unfortunately, uh, we got slaughtered by Daniel Murphy in that regard this year. Mike? It's unanimous. Uh, you have to reward the division winners, and the wild, wild card should be a hardship. And uh, they got it right, so I concur with you guys a million percent. All right. Well, uh, we're going to move on to uh, number six. And number six for me was um, the 4-3 win over the Cubs on June 30th, uh, where they were just coming off a a sweep at the hands of the Nationals in Washington. Uh, They looked miserable uh, till the seventh inning, but that's when when Johannes Cespedes showed you what he could do in a home run derby style, Rich. Did that ball ever land, actually? Um, th- that was one of the most majestic home runs I've ever seen. I mean, he hit that ball so far. And, um, and you're right, you know, another good call on that one. If you remember, another little tweak of that game, um, Stephen Matz came to bat in that game in about the fifth or sixth inning in a, um, in a, in a sacrifice situation. And I, I forget who was on the mound for the Cubs, but threw really inside at him. And Matt's was like, Matt's just dropped, didn't drop the bat, but he stared out at the pitcher. Was it area? No, it was, it was Lackey. He looked out at Lackey like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. And I think yeah. he was, he was thinking about going after him. Right. And, and I, so the Cespedes home run, great. The comeback win, when you look dead to the world, great. I believe in that game. Also, the Cubs loaded the bases in the top of the ninth and it looked for all the world like the Mets were going to blow it. And they didn't, which is also great. But the little subtlety of that game that I remember was that situation with Matt's at bat when he when he stared Lackey down. Right. Yeah. That that was. Uh, I, I remember that. And it, it, he literally like, yeah, he looked out at him and it said, "Dude, what what's up, man? What's up?" <laughs> like exactly. That, what and, are you doing? And, and he's you know he's 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 basically you know he was a sophomore, but uh, for all intents and purposes, I felt like the well, this was actually I'm sorry, this was uh, Stephen Matz's rookie season. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're laying it on the line and showing, uh, that you mean business in the, in this league. And unfortunately he can't stay healthy right now, but, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll, uh, see a full 30 starts from Steven Matz next year. Uh, my mouth to God's ears, right? Uh, Mike. Uh, I remember, I remember the incident. Well, uh, you just triggered my memory, Rich. Uh, good call on that one. Uh, I remember, you know, we were getting our first looks at uh, Brandon Nemo as well. Yep. So that's another thing that stands out to me about that time and day. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Nemo um, had an unbelievable at bat in that game. And he's, he, I, I would say uh, that he's basically the reason why we won, Rich. Nemo, absolutely. N- Nemo had a huge hit in that game. And, um, and that was, you know, he was a very big part of it. And I, I think he was the impetus for the comeback. Um, but at the same time, you know, that was a that was a classic team win. You know, Familia had to get out of some trouble of his own doing in the ninth. Mats kept the Mets in the game. Cespedes hit the you know, the incredible bomb. So it was a great team win against the, the mighty Cubs who, um, you know, who, who basically, I think, thought they had won the division already. And of course, they went on to win the World Series. But, you know, they had been dominating everybody. And the Mets, lo and behold, went on to sweep that four game series at City. So. 
uh, great win. Absolutely great win. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, that's for sure why I uh, put it in. Um, yeah, uh, uh, I'm trying to think about that bases loaded situation. Uh, um, it, it it was extremely thrilling. I remember it finished with a pop up, uh, but remarkably, uh, Familia outdid himself uh, coming up. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that soon. Um, so my number five, uh, August twenty third against the Cardinals. Uh, I just call this the Gazelman game. Uh, I think Gazelman uh, showed, you know, exactly the opposite. And sorry for you know this uh, John Neese bashing, but um, he showed exactly the opposite uh, of uh, what you get from John Neese, and and that was uh, stability and effectiveness. And uh, it was basically a microcosm of how the entire next six weeks would go, Rich. Well, uh, that game um, definitely needs to be in any list because, again, I, I like to look at games in context as much as the actual game itself. So the Mets were 6.5 games out, 6.5 out of the wild card during the series in San Francisco prior to the game you're talking about. Yes, they won the last two, so show a little sign of life, but they're going from San Francisco with whom they were competing to St. Louis with whom they were competing. And if the Cardinals had swept them, the Mets season is over. If the Cardinals had won two out of three, it would have been a body blow. The Mets needed to win that series. And so to have any hope whatsoever. So what do they do? They go in there. And anytime you have to win a series, as we all know, you want to win the first game, right? They go in there with Robert Gesellman on the mound. And we're all saying, who the hell is that? You know, we had seen him in, in spring training, but I mean, what is he like some cheap clone of Jacob deGrom? I mean, who is this guy and why is he here? And, um, we know why he's here. Everybody's hurt. So he goes out there and the Mets got him a pretty big lead. If I remember, he gave some of it back. The Mets reinforced the lead. He pitched serviceably. He pitched well enough. Well, remember and, that uh, John Neese started that game and came out with a knee injury. And right, backing up the plate. Exactly, backing up the plate. And, and so uh, Gazelman, I mean, they, they pounced on him early, but after that, you know, uh, they tied the game, but it kind of like, I think it was a ground out to tie the game. and It was more like, all right, great, base, base runner, uh, uh, you know, is gone, start over, here you go. Game's tied. And, and, right. and it almost felt like he was starting it. Right, right. And, and Ruggiano, I think, had an important home run in that game. And, um, and it was one of those games where, you know, the season was getting short. They had to have it against a team that they were competing with for the postseason. They got it. They got it in improbable fashion with Gaselman, you know, essentially, like you said, starting the game, coming in for Nice, who looked dreadful before he got hurt. And, um, and it's, yeah, um, I point to the game before that in San Francisco when Syndergaard beat them on a, on a Sunday night. And then this one here, which was a Tuesday night game, um, as critical wins in the, in the course of last season. And we are certainly on our way to that one. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Mike, how about you? Yeah, good call on Gisellman. I mean, you know, just like wrestling, you need a baby face and a heel. Uh, John Neese is definitely the heel, and he put the baby face over. So uh, that and, uh, you know, Wilma Flores. This Crushing lefties. doesn't get enough credit. He's always, you know, the underdog, and he got us out to an early lead again. You know, uh, it, it seems like the home runs he does hit mean something, you know? Yeah, and uh, I think I, if I remember correctly, I'm trying to pull it back up right now. Um, my, I, it went off my screen, but I believe I had Jose Reyes. No, no, I had Gazelman as the, as the MVP, of course. And I believe Jose Reyes, no, the unsung hero was Josh Smoker. Um, and yeah, Josh, let's, let's talk a little bit about Josh Smoker. I think, uh, he had a very effective last, uh, few outings over the course of the year after kind of getting, uh, um, you know, not being as sharp when he first came up. Uh, but he's got he's got quite the personality, um, uh, Rich, and uh, he was able to he uh, went two innings, giving up one run on two hits and two strikeouts, and the one run was just an absolute bomb that made it six to four at the time. Uh, Josh Smoker is certainly my unsung hero for for this game. Agreed. No, agreed. It, it was it was a 
it, all hands on deck kind of a game. They they had to drain the bullpen. They, they had to use obviously Gesellman, and they had to you know go deep into the bullpen with guys like Smoker. But it just seemed like everybody who stepped up, who who had to come in the game, stepped up and got the job done. And I remember feeling like that that was just a really good feeling win at the end of the game um, because. It wasn't like a dominating Cindergard performance. It wasn't anything like that. It was just everybody stepped up. Guys who, you know, maybe you didn't want to have to rely upon, you had to rely upon, but everybody got the job done. So, yeah, that was a great win for sure. Yeah. Um, I, uh, let's see. Sorry. I, it's something, I, I guess the word WordPress might, uh, might have collapsed. Anyway. Um, Number four, July 19th uh, against the Cubs, and that was a 2-1 to one win in the Windy City. And uh, I put this one just because it was an absolutely thrilling victory. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we lost the series, but, uh, you know, with the way the bases were loaded, uh, we didn't take the lead uh, until Rene Rivera single with two outs in the ninth. Uh, Rich, uh, I thought this is definitely one of the more thrilling victories of the year. Well, now, now that you bring that up, Sam, I was at that game at Wrigley. And so I remember when the Mets took the lead, you know, I was there with my daughter. We were jumping up and down in the stands. There were quite a bit few Met fans around us. It was great. Bottom of the ninth, the Cubs load the bases with no outs. And I said to my, I said, we're leaving. I'm not going to be here when they lose and, and hear that stupid song. I, I'm out of here. So, <laughs> so we leave, right? And we go, we go across the street and we're watching the game on TV, standing on the street, watching the game in a bar on the bar's TV, but on, but outside. And then next guy hits a ground ball. I believe it was to Loney. Loney throws home for the force out. Okay, fine. Let's see what happens. And then when they turn that double play, Wrigleyville went silent. And there were, there were my daughter and I jumping up and down on the street, high-fiving, getting the death glare from all those people in Wrigleyville. <laughs> and I guess I have to take a knock on that one because I bailed on my team. I really did. You know, I didn't think that I thought they were going to lose. I didn't want to be there for it. And so I ended up watching it just outside Wrigley Field through a, through a bar window. But um, what there... It looked for, I mean, you wouldn't have given the Mets a 1% chance to win that game when the Cubs loaded the bases with no outs in the bottom of the ninth, but they got it done. They got it done. Mike? Rene Rivera on some hero of the game, game-winning RBI. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Familia created himself a hell of a mess, but uh, couldn't have said it better when he got that double-play ball to end it. Awesome. Spectacular. You know, uh, you need games like that. Yeah, and, and Noah Syndergaard didn't uh, really have it together uh, in that game, but he he kept them he kept them in it. Of course, it was only one one till the till the ninth. And uh, Hansel Robles uh, he pitched the seventh and eighth basically perfectly, except for one hit. So uh, that was my unsung hero, and that is number four in my top ten wins. And number three is the game that Rich was referring to before, and that's a two nothing win on Sunday against the Giants. Uh, unfortunately that game was on ESPN, uh, but, uh, definitely one of the more thrilling games. I mean, the Mets were no hit for the entire game, but then, uh, that's not the column that counts, Rich. It is not what the column that counts is the one where Jeff Samarja threw a pitch. He shouldn't have thrown to you when Cespedes, who was able to keep it fair as it made its way into the Pacific ocean. And, um, the ball was absolutely crushed and Noah Syndergaard, man, what can you say? You know, it was it was the formula that the Mets wanted to use in the wild card game. Cinder guard to familia. You know what I mean? Just right. dominate, dominate. And they did on August 21st. And um, again, context. The Mets were literally on a respirator at that point. Had to have the game. Their man, Thor, went in there and, um, and got the job done. And uh, with an absolutely dominating performance and the best offensive player on the team provided the only offense. So it was like something you draw up in the, in the, you know, in the lab. And props to Curtis Granderson. I mean, you know, he's the one who broke up the, uh, the no hitter and, and with a, with a pretty uh, turned around, uh, uh, you know, on a, 
on a ball that uh, you know he stayed with uh, over the plate a little had a little bit of break on it and he was able to get it over the head of the left fielder. Uh, Mike, anything you remember about the game? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, the game put them at five hundred again, and, and it just brings back the old adage from Earl, we- Earl Weaver. You know, every team's going to win sixty games. Every team is going to lose sixty games. What do you do with the other forty games? And from that moment forward is what they were playing with. So uh, they did well for themselves in the rest of August, and we certainly know they had a, a pretty stellar month of uh, September. So, you know, if anything, this is the game that got them back to 500. So if anything, it was a, it was a platform game. It was, all right, let's launch forward from here and see where we wind up. Exactly, exactly. And, and um, uh, there was just something you needed to win this game before – you got to win the Gazelman game, and so that's why that's why I put this one uh, above the Gazelman game, uh, even though they they have similar uh, meaningfulness. Uh, but but that's why I, I had to have this in the top three. Um, my number two is a two to one win against the Marlins, and the first thing, uh, Rich, that that came into my mind as I started going through the game, I didn't, I, I hadn't even it hadn't even. Uh, occurred to me that it was Jose Fernandez's final start at City Field and uh, kind of gave me a chance to to honor him once more uh which is something that you know with all the death in, in 2016 and, and and all the death in the world um recently if, if we're specifically talking about celebrities there have been a lot of celebrity deaths recently and so Jose Fernandez was completely in the back of my mind and it kind of hit me again, you know, that, that numbness, uh, similar to the, the day that we found out about it. Yeah. Um, th- that's a day that, um, you know, baseball will, will have as a, an, an unfortunate remembrance day for many years going forward. Um, it, it was just something that, you know, there was like a pall hanging over all of baseball and, uh, that day. And, um, and, uh, and, and who knows, you know, what the Mets had to do after that. You know, they, I think Gary Cohen put it best, or I think it was Gary Cohen, who said when the Mets went to Miami for the game after uh, Fernandez's death, they became the unwitt- unwilling or unwitting party of the second part in what was a memorial service. And, um, and yeah. You know, Mike and I have been following this game for a very long time. I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen anything like that at all, where you take a young star who died so tragically, the team takes um, takes the next day to grieve, then they have to go on the field and play and all the stuff that happened. So oof, it was it was rough. Mike. Well said, Rich. Uh, and really, the only other time I can think of that, you know, struck so suddenly and so, so tragically was Thurman Munson. Right. When he passed away in his plane crash. Uh, and the Yankees, they had to play. And, you know, they opened up with nobody behind the plate. Mm-hmm. Moment of silence. And, and the camera panned in on Reggie Jackson in, in right field weeping. Uh, weeping, as were many other fans and players and coaches and people watching. Uh, you know, losing losing a, a good guy like Jose Fernandez uh, should, you know, mean something to everyone uh, in their own way. Uh, it's sad. It's so sad. But uh, I'm sure he'd be the first to say the game goes on play ball and that brings play us ball. to the to the game uh that that turned out to be his last in city field and that uh what can you say uh it, it first of all the the montero angle is something rich that i had forgotten about yeah you know it, it was one of those games where um how does the old cliche go? If it were a prize fight, they would have stopped it before it started because, you know, you have Jose Fernandez going up against Rafael Montero. And, um, you know, it was like, are you kidding? But, but Montero pitched serviceably well. 
um, stayed right with Fernandez, which was unexpected. But again, it, it was wasn't it sort of the theme of the last six weeks of the season mm-hmm. where it was everybody who had to do something, everybody who had to step up, found a way to do it. And um, and Montero's another guy. It's like Gaselman, Montero, Seth Lugo, all these guys, you know, found a way to compete and found a way to um, to get it done on the biggest stage. And so but you're right. You know, you think about that game, you think about some of the dramatic moments. You don't think about Rafael Montero, but he was a big part of it. They would not have been in a situation to win as they did were it not for the effort of Rafael Montero. Right, and that's why I was just like, hey, man, well done, Raphael. But now, dude, get it together for 17, okay? <laughs> because I think this is a make-or-break season for Rafael Montero. Mike? Uh, it just goes to show it takes a 40-man roster. Uh, the names, you know, are, are many. And look, lo and behold, Josh Smoker uh, appears again. He got the win that day. Mm-hmm. Oh, and had a, had a fantastic inning uh, that he walked off the, the mound uh, with a big, uh, big spin, big spin fist pump. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think Josh Smoker is, is a interesting sleeper regarding this bullpen going forward. And, uh, of course, I mean, you know, what can you say? Obviously, the MVP of the game, Ioannis Cespedes, he, he doesn't miss, miss a pitch, Rich. That, that ball bled, and he, he, uh, he bled back. <laughs> he bled it right over the left center field <laughs> wall. Um, and, yeah, you know, it, it's, again... A situation where you're playing with a, a thinned roster and the big guys step up, and that's what they do. You know, Piazza did it when he had to do it, and Cespedes did it when he had to do it. Exactly. Mike? I'm going to clue you in on a little secret. <laughs> that's a joke, really. Uh, baseball players watch other baseball players, you know, and other p- baseball players are aware of what they're doing. When Cespedes does what he does, other players are aware of it. There's this few, few, few players, any time, any era, any team, you know, that, that, that command that kind of attention from, from their peers. He's one of them. That's it. He's one of them. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, unanimous over here. I think we're all, we could all say that we've, uh, glowingly uh, have a man crush uh, on Joanna uh, Cespedes since August, I'm sorry, since July 31st, 2015. Uh, well, that, that rounds us uh, uh, number 10 through 2 out. And so uh, tune in to Rising Apple later where uh, we'll, we'll uh, release the best win of 2016. And, and that brings us um, to, you know, obviously some of, some of the moments, the best moments were included in the top 10 wins. Uh, but Rich, what are some other moments that you remember from this season? Some honorable mentions. All right. I'm going to go to a game that, um, I, I was thinking about this game today for some reason as, you know, I was doing my thing and I just kind of had a few private moments. I was reflecting on some games from the season, Wednesday, June 8th, Mets go out there and beat the pirates. They beat them six to five in 10 innings. So, so why was that important? Well, the Mets had lost the, the Monday night game had been rained out and they had lost a doubleheader on Tuesday. I believe John Neese pitched the first game of that doubleheader against the Mets, which is, you know, an issue for another day. But um, but so the Mets had lost the first games of that series in Pittsburgh. That was a game where the Pirates took the lead. I believe Conforto, I can hit the box score. I know he hit one home run at least in that game and a very important home run to bring the Mets close or put them back on, or put them on top. But it looked like they were going to get swept. It, it did not look good. Um, the Pirates were ahead two to nothing. The Mets tied it at two. Pirates took the lead. Top, Pirates took the lead again in the bottom of the seventh. And in the top of the eighth, I do believe it was a Conforto home run that that tied it again. So then it goes to the tenth inning. The Mets score in the top of the 10th, but the Pirates had traffic on the bases in the bottom of the 10th, and the game ended on a double play. Familia induced the ground ball. They got a 6-4-3 double play and got out of there. And to me, you know, that game was important because you don't want to get swept in Pittsburgh. You're playing a, a team that you're thinking might be a wild card competitor. You definitely don't want to get swept by them. And they were in the middle of a road trip that was then going to take them to Milwaukee. And you just don't want to have that hanging over your head. So what I liked about that game and why I think about that game is that 
Conforto, you know, who had been who had been sent down and, and all that. And he comes back and, and he hits the home run. So you get a contribution from him. They escape a bottom of the 10th, um, the bottom of the 10th rally by the Pirates. They escape that. And so I, I would I would say that's another honorable that would be an honorable mention coming from me. Yeah, I can't uh, disagree with you. Uh, I, th- I think, uh, you know, it would be hard to bump anything, but uh, that that definitely was something that, you know, it, it, who knows what the morale would be if you got swept after that. And they, they the Ty Kelly home run, that was that was quite something as well. Uh, Mike, what do you remember about that? And what are some of your honorable honorable mentions? Well, my honorable mention needs a little bit of background. Uh the Mets got hot. You know, they had a, a, a good home stretch. Uh, they won 15 of 19 games from August 20th through September 9th. In September, they went 17 and 10. They had six walk-off wins uh, throughout the season. Four of them came August 13th moving forward. Uh, and they were 8 and 5 in extra inning games. At the center of all that activity in late August and September was T.J. Rivera. Man, how he stepped in. August 16th, he went 4-4 against Arizona in the 7-5 win. September 13th, he was 3-4 with three RBIs and a 4-3 win over Washington. So, you know, a lot of winning. Uh, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of fun games for us fans. And, and he was a big, big part of that little stretch. Uh, and I just want to give him his credit. Yeah. Uh, T.J. Rivera, we thought he might be the starting shortstop next year, but, uh, you know, I'll take Neil Walker and, and round our bench out with the uh, – I mean, I think I, I think when you look at that, Rich, everybody is probably going to be getting uh, a four to 500 at-bats at least. Yeah, I think that's the plan. You know, I think we talked about that actually in the last podcast too, where the, the idea of um, taking the Cubs approach of interchangeable parts, you know, um, and it may work. It may just work, and but I think you're, they'll find at bats for everybody, and there are enough out there. There are enough at bats because, you know, guys need. One of the keys is to keep guys fresh, you know, for the end of the season. So you achieve that by by using a lot of different players, and there there will be injuries. So yeah, there will be plenty of at bats for everybody. Um. So going back uh, to some of the best moments, you know, not just including games. Uh, you got to include, of course, uh, Bartolo Colon's home run. Uh, Rich, you told a great story about how you missed it, and, and uh, <laughs> you underestimated him once more. Uh, um, I uh, I also want to include, of course, Noah Syndergaard basically being the offense in Los Angeles with two home runs. Uh, Mike, what are some of the, the moments, the little moments that you remember? Mm. Uh, I, I, I don't. You know, because I'm just a guy of trends, you know what I mean? Uh, I'll, I'll talk trends with you, but moments, you know, they come and go. Uh, I, I'm, I'm watching the game with one eye, you know, these days, and an ear on another uh, on another item, and, you know, my attention's all over the place. So the, the, the days of me just solely watching a game with nothing else going on around me are over. They've been over. Uh, I, I two computers on my desk, TV on, off, and mute, the radio in the background, so... Some of them I miss, some of them I see with no sound, some of them I'm tuned into. Uh, so, but specific moments, no, nah, I'm not going to give you one other than, you know, the times that Noah Syndergaard stepped up. I'm always going to support the underdog, Wilma Flores. He had a couple of games there where he saved us and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I'm not going to get too specific. I mean, outside, I, I, again, outside Cespedes' uh, uh, you know, exploits, they're all the same to me. They're all a blur. Uh, I hear that 2016 was certainly a year to remember. Uh, Rich, I'll, I'll leave it before we go to our last word. Is there any one moment in particular you'd like to mention before we're done? Well, yeah, I- I'm going to mention one. July 31st, and, and why am I talking about that game? Well, the Mets had the Mets were playing the Rockies, who you know weren't terribly good, and the Mets had lost the first three games of the series. And so it was a Sunday afternoon. The Rockies are looking for a four-game sweep. That's hard to even say. And so the Rockies take the lead on the Mets in the top of the seventh. And Mets had Mets had a three to one lead in that game. Rockies tie it in the fifth. Rockies take the lead in the top of the seventh. They're like, are you kidding me? Are they going to get swept four games at home by the Rockies? Well, the Mets have a three run rally in them in the bottom of the seventh, capped off by a Neil Walker home run. And 
I just remember when Walker hit that home run thinking, thank God we have this guy. I mean, literally, think about it. We, it was, the season was about two-thirds over. We had seen Neil Walker for two-thirds of a year exceed our expectations in every aspect of the game. And here he was essentially preventing a four-game sweep at the hands of the Rockies. So I remember that game, too. That's one that sticks out. Yeah, uh, that is definitely a, a crucial game. And, and there was just moments, like, even if they weren't able to sustain what they were able to sustain from the end of August through September, um, you know, early, uh, I think there, there are particular games where, you know, they, they just kept, kept it afloat, kept it going. They, they didn't let themselves ever fall off the cliff, uh, and which basically helped set up uh, that, well, what, what, you can, what you can basically say is the Gazelman Lugo run. I mean, you know, and, and here's the thing, and this is how we'll segue to, uh, you know, thinking about 2017. Um, uh, when, when people are like, oh, well, is your pitching going to stay healthy, this and that and this and that? I mean, I'm not saying that you can replace these pitchers that, that could potentially all win Cy Young Awards. Uh, but people are forgetting what we just did with, with that last six weeks uh, and the depth that we've incurred when it comes to pitching. Uh, I, 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 think, uh, I think there is, uh, you know, that, that's why it's kind of like, you know, people are going to keep underestimating this team, uh, even through, you know, questioning whether we have the depth to pull it off. Well, I mean, I think the, the franchise is in a really good position uh, to, to show people, you know, what they can, what they are capable of. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I'm not sure if you guys heard John Sterling on, um, he was hosting WFAN this week. And um, the reason I'm bringing him up, obviously, is he's a Yankee broadcaster, but somebody called in with a Mets question and, and Sterling, who I think it probably pained him to say it. He said, you know, the Mets are one of the best teams in baseball. He said, let's face it. If that pitching, if everybody comes back, um, they are a machine that could win now. And they've got a good enough offense. They could have the best pitching in baseball. So, so yeah, for 2000, going forward into 2017, let's make 2017 what we all thought 2016 would be. Let's make it the year where it's like, you know what? We got to the World Series. We didn't finish a job. We're going to close the deal this time. And we're going to go out there. We're going to dominate. We're going to win over 100 games. And we're going to roll through the postseason with this great starting pitching because our window is open. Our window is now. Mike? You know, Entering 2016, we sort of felt the same way. We thought the only thing that could derail us would, would, would be injuries. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. Ruinous injuries. So I think we're kind of like in hurry up and wait mode. You know, let's hurry up and get there, but we, we got to wait. Uh, so it, it's, it's a weird, sort of a weird time right now because uh, – Obviously, the way the last two seasons ended didn't sit well with us. And, I, you know, Sterling just might be right. We could be. We just very well could be one of the best teams in baseball entering the season. But that's going to depend on health and how a couple of these guys, you know, rebound. Uh, it's going to be an interesting season. I, I still think we're a little disjointed. Uh, but we can overcome that. Uh, nice blend of youth and veterans on the team, uh, if the pitching is healthy, they'll carry us. The bullpen has another stellar season. You know, you know how flaky bullpens can be, good one year, bad the other. If the bullpen can, can, you know, put in another season like they did last season, that'll go a long way. Uh, other than that, you know, hurry up and wait. All, all I can say, really, to, to, to make the time go by, uh, the Winter League's uh, regular season generally ended on December 29th, and the uh, Caribbean playoffs are underway. So be a fan, tune in, and, you know, have fun. We do have a lot of uh, international competition coming up uh, with the World Baseball Classic as well. So uh, that is yep. something to look forward to. There, there is always baseball on, even if uh, this is generally the time that we're craving some nets. Um, and with that, I will segue to the last word. And, uh, Mike, I want to give you the microphone first because it's been a while and I've been, uh, kind of propping up your general last word. So, um, I, I want to go ahead and pass you, uh, the baton. 
<laughs> uh, I guess for, for the final time in 2016, I'll use this time to, you know, now I'm going to start demanding that the Mets, Mets ownership uh, specifically, uh, honor Mrs. Joan Payson, uh, founder, co-founder of the New York Metropolitan Baseball Club. Without her, there would be no Mets. Uh, it's just long overdue. A a statue, please, something, something prominent, something significant, and something worthy uh, of the matriarch of this ball club. Uh, Outside of that, uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, All all well wishes and blessings to you. I hope next year is better than this one. I, for one, am happy to see 20... uh, 16 go, and I'll be ushering it out the door uh, in a couple hours, I guess. Uh, I think I'm going to head to Coney Island this evening and, and celebrate it there uh, for the third time. They got something going on over there, and uh, it, it's fun, actually. So uh, I'm going to give it a shot. Here, here. Here, here. Rich. Um, so I would say my my last word is next month, and why am I saying that? I know that's two words, but... Um, in a little over eight hours, it'll be January 1st, at which time we could say next month the Mets will play a competitive baseball game. I think their first spring training game is February 24th, um, which means that, you know, we're, we're pushing through the off season. You know, Sam, you said people start to crave Mets baseball, and, um, and I certainly am, and it's getting closer. So, yeah, it, it's next month we, we get the boys back on the field. Here, here. Um, I, I, uh, I'm going to echo what Rich was saying, uh, about 2017, but be what we hoped 2016 would be and didn't, uh, turn out uh, quite that way. Uh, there, there's, uh, it, it's time for the next step, uh, you know, and, um, we, uh, we have to take it and, and take advantage of what may turn out to be, uh, some of the most talented, uh, teams that, that the Mets have ever assembled. So, uh, let's, uh, you know, put the pedal on the metal, uh, put the, uh, the, uh, the foot on the neck of the competition and let's get her done. 2017, let it be the year of orange and blue. And with that, I bid farewell to 2016. I say happy new year to all of you folks out there and especially, uh, the rising apple folks and all the, uh, you know, all of our readers and listeners. Uh, we thank you for, for tuning in and, uh, making rising apple what it is. Uh, Rich, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Sam. Happy New Year, Mike. And Happy New Year to all the listeners. And Mike, Happy, happy New, New Year. Happy New Year, boys. Happy New Year, buddy. Thank, thank you, sir. Happy everyone. Absolutely. And the only way to sign off, as always, is let's go Mets. Take care, everybody.